bow. Doing the record. We in it. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep. You read any good books lately? <laughs> no. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I think we've right, well, this has been a proud podcast presentation closed. of that podcast productions. We can. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we our our bold strategy for the cold opens on these, but we just see what we're going to be talking about. Sometimes <laughs> it sometimes it works great. And sometimes it's a big old turd monster. Look, so. so we were talking about what was going on for Memorial Day. What's going on from? Well, I guess that wouldn't work we because. Going up we next recording. Week. Well, they, <laughs> I mean, I guess little... if you want to go back and re-record. <laughs> what did you do for Memorial Day? <laughs> uh, also, yes, it will have been a week ago. Yeah. So, yeah, hey, listeners, uh, I have no fake enthusiasm today, but uh, join <laughs> us anyway for that podcast we'll never do, which is uh, this podcast here where we talk about comics and uh, – Try, try and hide our crushing loneliness. Hey, uh, hang on just one second. Rushing. Hey, baby. Kind of kind of making some noise while we're recording here. Sorry. Oh, yeah. All right, then. <laughs> Sorry, Josh, do you, am, need uh, to, do you need to recover any of that, or was that all right? No, no, no. no, 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 no. There's, there's no retakes on this. Yeah, okay, this, well, I, <laughs> I spend all the time editing the other show, so I don't have to spend time editing this one. I mean, part of why we still do these two shows. Now you'll so have that, to edit yeah. that, though, so that they don't know. You <laughs> That's create you, illusion. No. <laughs> That's what you fucking think. There's no <laughs> editing on these shows. Tricks, Tricks are <laughs> what I, holes I can't, do, Michael. I can't speak for Cody, but when I was doing the when I was doing all the editing with that podcast and further news were like the weeks off for editing. <laughs> yep. Where you just slap the bumpers on and fucking send it out into the world like a like a libertarian doctor. What's kind of funny, <laughs> that's, that's funny, uh, but what else is funny is just because of the way the recording schedule goes, even though this is the, the quote-unquote easy episode, it will mean next week is my easy week, because this week I'm editing an older episode. That's true. That's so true. that's, I guess, is, what I will be doing on. future happiness. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll be doing Memorial Day is editing. Yay! <laughs> All right. So yeah, this is that podcast we'll never do. Uh I am Josh, the A student. Uh, with me also is Aura, who was a student. <laughs> and also Cody, uh, who was on Quiz Kids. I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything better than that. I was in History Bowl. You were in History Bowl. Yeah, I went to Washington, nice. D.C. twice for it. Wow. I failed out of the a fancy Ivy League. <laughs> I used to have a uh, math Olympics. I wish I, I wish I still had it. I had a math Olympics button that said, "What's your sign?" <laughs> oh, I just if I still had that fucking thing, my life would be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can confirm it would have like it would be tenfold. If you had your <laughs> lenticular book it uh, button too, book it like was the, the best the scam one, though, going. Not the big dorky one. Man, for nerds, Book It was the best scam. Do they still do Book It, Cody? I don't think so, because I don't know what we're talking about. 
Oh, it was no. this program they used to do at Pizza Hut. Oh, that's what it's called. I, in my head, I was literally thinking, I don't know what book it is, but we had whatever the Pizza Hut thing was. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you read so many books, they give you a free pan pizza. And the yes. thing is, I was a fucking loser kid. I was reading piles of books anyway. It was basically just a, a write-off for me to get free pizza every few weeks. All right. So, the, so this is exactly the perfect type of lead-in for this show. Uh, if we're yeah. talking about nerdy things besides book it uh, a thing that our whole school district did or i mean more specifically for the um for like the elementary school and like the middle school level but they had a thing called ar which was accelerated reader and for every book that was in the school library they would make this quiz based on the book to see if you like actually read it type of thing and you would get points for longer books or like uh, harder, higher subject reading type of books. So uh, I, me and my brother just absolutely dominated that game. Like free t-shirts, free books, more like the gift certificates for pan pizzas. But what else was crazy was besides getting points for uh, reading a book and taking the quiz, uh, if there was a book that didn't have a quiz, you could get the full amount of quiz points for making that quiz. So I made quizzes for like the Lord of the Rings books and I did a couple of big ones like that. And then I was like, ah, no, 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 I know exactly how to <laughs> easy cut this. And so I started putting in quizzes for every single one of the Hank, the cow dog books, which uh, if you are unfamiliar with those are like a, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like a 50 page read, very large <laughs> text, a lot of pictures. Nice. You can't see it off Zoom, guys, but my wife is very upset at your scamming system. <laughs> I read the books! Do you, do you have anything you want to... You, I know you didn't read the books for this week, but you can go ahead and add, baby. You had to read the books off the list, and you need to make you need to make sure you go found a book on the list to read. I so made the... When one of the books that you wanted to read was on that list. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like somebody who didn't get to eat a lot of free pizza. Did the, did the, did the harumph come through on the... Like, oh, yeah. I hope it did. <laughs> you made her walk away in a huff. Oh, no. <laughs> I was definitely reading more than anybody else in my school at that point in time, but that was elementary school. I definitely had my fall from grace at high school. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's when my GPA started going down. I had mine because of, I think, uh, a, a summer reading program. Mm. Because he got addicted to the pan pizzas from Book It. No. <laughs> he needed to it was, snort at least once a week. I think it was in seventh grade. They had like a suggested summer reading list. And uh, one of them was uh, the book, Bury My Heart, It Wounded Me. Uh, and my mom was like, here, it's about Native Americans. You'll enjoy it. And if you ever read uh, Bury My Heart, It Wounded Me, uh, it's it's about the genocide of the Native Americans in very graphic detail. It's interesting, like, when we talk about, like, reading in your free time, I had just saw something on Twitter that uh, was somebody talking about uh, propaganda and how to recognize it in, like, modern media and other things because they've been reading a bunch of these, like, Holocaust memoirs that they have. And I was kind of thinking about that. And then lo and behold, I was blindsided by some more like uh, Jewish background information with this, the uh, 
was that Jeopardy and the uh, Quiz Kid book, I think, yeah. both have a little bit about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the the main thing I remember from Barry My Heart at Wounded Knee is like making fucking tobacco pouches out of scrotal sacks. Ah. Like every like five pages, it's like, and these people's army would kill Native Americans and then make fucking tobacco pouches out of scrotal sacks. Like, was, was fucking, was it that hard to get a tobacco pouch in the fucking Old West? Because I've never been like, man, I've, I lack a container. I better murder a dude and cut off his fucking nut sack. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Ugh. I have been there. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm kidding. And, and um, I used to roll my own tobacco, so. That's true. It's true. Um, well, you know, before plastics. Um, <laughs> so getting the train back on tracks, I guess. Uh, we're, I, we're, we're a show with a, with a certain... No, 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 no. I didn't get to tell my story. Um, <laughs> tell your story. I tell spent a lot of time in middle school and grade school justifying reading graphic novels as literature. That was... Mm. That was that's how old I am. That like that stuff didn't count then. Yeah, way ahead of the curve. I mean, maybe still doesn't, but um, you know, uh, I I, yeah, do I mean, some places that, still have standards. That uh, I I I would often you know have to bring home notes like from my teachers to my dad, who would then have to be like, yes, you know, like, like this is <laughs> he's reading something. Please, God, like don't stop that. <laughs> because you know, um, i you know as you, as you guys know but the the listeners don't like i like nonfiction and i like graphic novels but i don't like the middle i don't like fiction novel you know like i mm-hmm. i have a hard time reading that stuff for some reason and so uh something like book it was actually difficult <laughs> because you know i'm i'm reading these you know like i'm reading encyclopedias and also Garfield uh, collections, <laughs> you know, like, and they're just like, why can't you read the stuff for class? Like, you know, uh, Catcher in the Rye or whatever. And I'm just like, I, I can't do it. Like, my brain doesn't have that that attention span for whatever reason. In grade school, they wanted you to read Catcher in the Rye? Middle school. Okay. <laughs> I had a... I had, well, it was weird because um, I tell this to Elizabeth sometimes. My sixth and seventh grade literature classes, like, were all the same books that we ended up reading again. Like, you know, things like Catcher in the Rye, 1984. I had read all of those already, like, when I got into high school. Um, so it was, like, high school literature classes were always kind of a breeze for me because I'm like, yeah, I know what happens. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, I mean, there was the the rare one that caught me off guard. Something like um, uh, "Cry the Beloved Country" was one that I actually had to read in high school. Um, the Hemingway book with the fish. Oh, Man in the Sea. Uh, Old Man in the Sea. Thank you. I hated that book so much. <laughs> but, but then what happened was because I had read in these other books in middle school. And I had already known what had happened. I had sort of gotten out of the habit of reading. So I would get doubly, mm. like I said, kind of caught off guard with these books because then then they, you know, anyway. <laughs> so uh, we're uh, members of that pod. We are we're that pod. Actually, we are that podcast network. Uh, you can find all of our podcasts at 
that podcast uh, productions.fireside.fm. Yep. And there's other social media outlets and stuff. Hang on to the end and you can find out about that. Uh, so, Cody, why are we talking about... Spoilers and swears. Uh, there's spoilers and swears. We do that. We do that a lot. Uh, so, Cody, why are we talking about school stuff, smart people stuff, instead of just laughing at farts like usual? Well, uh, after we had to read our last couple of comics, I guess Aura decided maybe we wanted to take it in a slight cerebral direction, just a little bit. <laughs> some reading material with some heft or value, one might say. Another thing to note, both of the comics this week are beautiful, nice hardcover books, as opposed to the crap from last week or last <laughs> time. Uh, we're, we're doing Quiz Kid, Quiz Boy books, or Quiz Boy related books. We have Form of a Question by Andrew J. Rostin and Kate Casenow, or Casenow, and All of the Answers by Michael Kupperman. And one of these is an Eisner winning book. Oh, oh excuse me. And also, one of them is good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm curious now. <laughs> Opinions. See, I, I, well, I wait. No, I'm sure there are <laughs> different opinions than me, but we'll get into it. Not, not necessarily, Josh, but, but I, okay. yeah. Anyway, did we want to talk about the background of the subject matter since we'll be returning to it with the further ado as well? Yeah. Do we want to go over uh, each book individually, or just kind of give a general thing for both of them right off the top? I think it would be good to talk really quick about like sort of the origin of quiz shows in America. Sure. Yeah. Do you have stuff? Uh, I haven't set prepared. Up? <laughs> yeah, because you know. uh, I didn't. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I did some creator uh, research, so I can talk about I, that I later. D- I do have a question, though, Josh. Before you start yeah. that in, uh, why does every game show say Merv Griffin on it? Okay, now we can. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Merv Griffin, he uh, had a lot of money. Sure. Uh, well, eh, that w- wasn't funny. Cut it at a point. Uh, <sighs> his nose <laughs> 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 so, I guess a, a brief sort of history from having read all the all the answers the other day like quiz shows in america were really a thing that took off in the radio era in the early 20th century uh initially they were often just like the the i think a lot of the earlier ones weren't really game showy like particularly the one that they talk about in all the answers isn't it's just mm-hmm. uh a show called Quiz Kids where they get a war bond <laughs> turning up, regardless of if they win or not. Um, I got a war... Did you guys ever get war bonds, by the way? I was thinking that when I read that. My One one time when I became an adult, my mom was like, well, here's this war bond grandpa got for you when, like, when all our kids were born. They got each got a war bond. And I was like, how much is it for? And it's like a $50 war bond. So I was like, oh, that's old-timey. <laughs> You gave 50 um, bucks. To I'll go cash this in and buy a couple of Mountain Goats albums, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like Grandpa giving me 50 bucks with extra steps. <laughs> anyway, I miss you, Grandpa. Uh, so, these uh, early shows were very popular, uh, apparently, very popular with people overseas in the wars. Um, and in the post-World War II era, as television started to be a thing, uh, it existed a bit before the war, but it hadn't really been 
its widespread popularity happened during the 40s. Um, they, they relied on, early television relied on radio formats very heavily uh, to the oh, point yeah. where a lot of shows that were early television were just different versions. Like a lot, like soap operas, most of the long running ones were originally radio dramas or like the uh, oh, like oh, Life sure. of there Riley. Was, yeah, there was, was that one soap that opera was... that just ended a couple years ago yeah. that like, you know, it, it had been the longest running TV show, but like... I think it, the, long, the longest running TV show is a German news program. Oh, I'm sorry. It, well, it, maybe the it was second the longest, longest running is a soap opera. Show? Was it? Maybe it was the longest running fiction TV show. It would be longest running fictional, I think. I believe the yeah, longest all my children maybe. For, um, for a long time, was it all my children or Days of Our Lives? Maybe it was Days of Our Lives. It was. It, it was, was one of those classic soap operas that just ended a couple years ago, and it had it had started out its uh radio it had its run as a radio uh yeah. as a radio program, and so like. You know, it had something ridiculous like 10,000, you know, television episodes. But then they go back and they include its radio things as well. And that was another 10,000. So, like, thinking about, you know, something like Superman that just hit its, you know, theoretically thousand, you know, thousand story or, you know, yeah. 4,000 story. You know, like, it pales in comparison to what they've done, you know, with, with some of these uh, long-running soap operas. Yeah, and, and the fact that so many people talk about like, oh, The Simpsons or Gunsmoke, like these long-running TV programs, and then don't talk about soap operas is really indicative of gender bias in, oh, that in makes how sense. people yeah, do TV absolutely. studies. I, I think some people are going to correct that in the academy, but it's when you see people who are, and, and usually they try and couch it with a variety of uh, adjectives, like it's the longest-running fiction format, hour length. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. I was just thinking about how... Exclude. But yeah, yeah, soap operas were a very early one. I I do think it was Days of Our Lives. It it was originally about like a church family or like a minister. Uh, And, uh, you know, news shows were obviously a thing from very close to the beginning. There were some sitcoms. I believe Life of Riley, maybe the Goldbergs were were originally... uh, radio dramas before the switch over yeah there are like a million of these things that i mean like a lot of the the um dragnet like famously was a radio program well in advance of its uh it's actually uh the tv run that we sort of most associate with dragnet was its second try at tv because it was like a revival right 1950s what's that it was a revival right yeah um very successful one because you know that's the one that people associate with dun 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 you know um but all like a lot of the old time radio programs i listen like i'll listen to in my car all had tv you know runs as well if anyone out there ever wonders when whenever they see like those complete uh radio show sets available on tv who buys those or a or well, I mostly download mine from the internet. But <laughs> it's good to see that you've updated yourself. For the yeah, internet. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's weird because I'll sometimes intersperse them with a podcast. So I'll be sitting there like listening to like you know, I don't know, a series of five dragnets, and then all of a sudden like you know, our podcast comes on or something, 
And I'm like, oh, I guess I get to listen to my own voice now for <laughs> upwards three hours. To me, that sounds like torture. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, these, these formats that have been popular on radio were transitioned over to television. And one of them was the quiz format. But with television, uh, there was increasingly a, a boom in sponsorship and uh, sponsors with them brought the idea of contests for money and it became sort of the game show industry over time. Uh, and there was a lot of corruptness to it. There was a lot of scandal in the early days. Uh, one of our books talks about that a bit in the movie that we're going to be doing also talks about that. Oh guys. That's sort of the, from there, it's sort of the line that leads from shows like quiz shows to jeopardy. Oh my gosh. I can't believe we forgot this while we were talking about, things that transferred over from radio to TV. Uh, Westerns. Yeah, oh, yeah, Westerns. Yeah, The Lone Ranger, Gunsmoke. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Superman? Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, like, Superman was originally a comic. All right, I have I mean, to turn it in my card, that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about mentioning that, but it was originally a comic book. No, that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Green Hornet too. Was the Green Hornet? It sounds like Green Hornet originally radio show, or was there a comic associated with it? I don't. It was it was a pulp actually, I believe. I don't. Okay. The comics didn't come along till much later with Green Hornet. Okay. Because if it's a like if it's something like Superman, you're like, is a TV show an adaptation of the radio program or an adaptation of the comic? Well, if you uh, <laughs> if you want to get into uh, it, Josh. <laughs> uh, well, I think that you know you and I have have before made the argument that Superman was sort of an early transmedia property, you know, because there were things like, uh, oh, you're making face. Guess not. I was just like, I'm not sure if we have, but maybe oh, we did. Maybe we, I we, have, and I just made. I've recorded read. myself saying stupid shit a lot, and I don't like to re-listen to it. <laughs> Quite possible. Oh, I thought it was for a paper. Um, I, don't think, I don't think we've ever done a transmedia paper, really, other than the sort the of Mystery Science, Science Theater, Theater paper. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so because a lot of the things that gets in, that end up getting introduced, like in the radio program, end up going backwards into the comic. So Kryptonite yeah. and like uh, uh, his parents and some other stuff, like actually debuted in the in the radio program and then ended up going back into the comic later. Uh-huh. Imagine that happening now. People would freak the fuck out. What's that? Imagine that happening now. People would freak the fuck out. Oh, sure. It, it kind of does. And you're right. People do. Like, damn. <laughs> I was actually just talking about how um, I know now we're like on a tangent of a tangent, but we're talking about yeah. like other media changing and affecting perception about it. Uh, people for Star Wars, like, you know, it's not controversial to say people think this most recent trilogy is controversial, yet simultaneously, the comic books that are based on these characters but have different people writing and drawing them are, like, the absolute, like, best-selling Star Wars comics right now. The ones that are the the rise of Kylo Ren, the all of the behind-the-scenes Darth Vader shit, the bounty hunter stuff. Even the Mandalorian, to an extent, is that same thing of, like, somebody took an idea that was just fucking Boba Fett, which is a guy in a mustache wearing a hat, 
like and then <laughs> expand on that to create something better or bigger than the original vision has nothing to do with the <laughs> quiz boy stuff yeah. but is is interesting <laughs> to think about uh, yeah there was one good movie in the new star wars is that's true i would agree i, I haven't actually seen Rise of Skywalker, so i have no idea see yeah okay. i haven't it sounds terrible <laughs> everything i've heard it was, about it it was fine yeah you thought that about force awakens it was fine you're very wrong about that. See, that's the one that I think is fine, is The Force Awakens. <laughs> so, we'll do this on some other show. Yeah. I think like, we already did it on a different show. <laughs> We've probably done it on multiple, to be honest. It's not a it's... movie, it's a cargo cult. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I that's... like that take, though, Josh. That's yeah. a very good take. Very funny. Oh, uh, yeah, no, uh... So uh, the vid- or the the video game the <laughs> the uh, the game show thing has a fascinating history. Yeah, absolutely. And just very like, associated with the the uh, move of America to modern capitalism in a way well, from also, a much more it's, agrarian it's also, or. If, uh, sorry, go on, Josh. That's <laughs> okay. It's, it also has to do, I think, a lot to do with the movement towards modern capitalism and uh like like in the older older american modes of living like they were more agrarian or more craftsman like right where people to some extent worked for themselves um and in the in the post-war era we started to see people an increasing emphasis on working for someone and i think that the part of why game shows work as an idea is that they they're like the lottery they represent the idea that you're winning something that takes you out of your the drudgery of your life uh, only on a game show it's theoretically something that you've earned instead of just picking a number yeah, yeah well an interesting thing about this like i know a little bit about the back end of how this works uh with prices right because one of the radio hosts uh in kansas city was on prices right and she like recounted her story of like uh, basically how it's not lottery-like because what ends up happening is you have to pay so many taxes and like so much, like you don't actually get to keep the stuff on the game show basically. You, no. you end up like forfeiting most of it because you can't afford the taxes that are uh, associated with it is basically her experience. Well, that's, that's similar to the lottery too. Like most uh, lotto winners end up paying most of it in taxes and lawsuits because apparently people will lottery. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so uh, you know, she her recount was that she she actually won the big prize at the end of Prices, right? She had gotten the you know she had ended up getting like the trip, the car, another trip, uh, million dollar other, showcase or whatever. Yeah, and some other stuff. And basically at the end of it, because, you know, because of the taxes, she ended up having to sell the car uh, and forfeit one of the trips so she could take the other trip. And so, like, you know, in some ways it's like, oh, man, this is really exciting. And then in others, it's like, well, here's a whole bunch of problems for you to deal with, basically. 
If I was on the prize of running, I'd just sell every fucking thing that I want. What do I need all that useless shit for? Uh, what I was going to say, uh, while I interrupted you a million times a minute ago, Josh, uh, mm-hmm. what I think is interesting about the, the quiz show, the history of quiz shows, is just like the ebb and flow of it. Like how it's popular for like, you know, five minutes and then it falls off quickly. And then it's popular for five minutes and falls off quickly, kind of over and over again in American culture. Mm-hmm. It takes like it takes the new gimmick. It's it truly is indicative of the TV cycle too. Because uh, I mean, we can jump into more stuff. Uh, my dad actually went to New York when I was a kid because he was in the second phase of auditioning for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Like, I remember when I was a kid, that was, like, the massive, massive game show. There was PC, CD-ROM games. There was, uh, you know, a billion things. McDonald's had Monopoly, but then they also did the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire stuff. And I feel uh, like Phone a Friend is, is a part of the cultural lexicon at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff like that. Or borrow a lifeline. Yeah. Having just the idea also of winning, not the idea of winning money off of questions, but, like, we were having a conversation about who wants to be a millionaire versus Jeopardy. And it's like, nobody's got any fucking lifelines on Jeopardy. You have to know it. But on who wants to be a millionaire, you had multiple choices and multiple chances to like get it wrong and still go on. So it felt almost like there was a more fair chance. The other thing we talked about is uh, we've seen a lot of TV shows recently, even the newest uh, reality quote unquote drama thing that Netflix did called Too Hot to Handle also included a, a cash prize at the end if they did all of the stuff. And it's, it ended up being like less than $10,000 a piece per person is what they told them on the show. So already we're thinking same thing behind the scenes, there's going to be taxes. Nobody wins just a flat million dollars on a game show anymore which is crazy because everything costs more money now than it did when who wants to be a billionaire was on our president was a fucking mogul for this exact type of thing we're talking about like you can say whatever you want that the apprentice is a different type of thing it's kind of like a skill version of survivor but it's still a game show with like quote-unquote prizes and I, I, that's actually a topic that I was about to lead us into is that a lot of these, a lot of the continuous continuation of game show and culture, I think is in reality programming. And I think that for similar reasons, because reality like game shows are fairly cheap to put on. I don't, and I don't, I don't know how much a game show puts costs to put on, but I imagine it isn't extensive since you just mostly have the one set. Um, uh, uh, all the answers on page 50 through 52 talks about his manufactured celebrities and like how the machine like sort of creates him and spits him out and of you know of all all of the sort of themes that these books brought out i i remembered that one in particular being quite you know sort of prescient to to our current sort of social stuff for sure that's a that's a connection between all the answers and bad girls club (laughs) <laughs> which is absolutely my favorite reality show of all time oh sorry <laughs> my second favorite my favorite is who wants to marry a millionaire just bracing looks at the american psyche <laughs> we should yeah, be ashamed no, that makes sense <laughs> we should be ashamed 
Uh, let's maybe segue from that into talking about all the answers. Sure. This is written by uh, Michael Kupperman. Uh, I know Cody said you did a little research into the author. I'm familiar with the author as well from other works. Were you looking into, into Kupperman? Yeah. So, uh, like, it says in the jacket that he has uh, also done work with, like, Adult Swim and some other things like that. I couldn't find direct listings uh, for what that would be just on like the typical biography places in Wikipedia for him. But there, there's something about his, his style that is so immediately familiar and recognizable. But part of it is because he has had work in the New Yorker, the New York times, LA weekly, wall street journal, uh, heavy metal, Nickelodeon magazine. He was on uh, Saturday night live also as like an animator and cartoonist and a couple other like, just massively syndicated things that you would see like at any point in time. And I think it is this, it's Michael Kupperman as well, who talks about uh, at an early age, like when we're talking about reading books for pizza points, their dad is a, you know, this quiz boy person. And he was obsessed with political cartoonists as opposed to just reading something like Calvin and Hobbes or whatever. Uh, I sympathize with that as a kid who was into uh, Doonesbury. Uh, yeah, I, did see. About, <laughs> I did want to say about Kupperman, uh, I, was, I was familiar with him beforehand. I don't really know about his work on Adult Swim or anything like that, other than that it mentions it on the jacket. Uh, but he, did, he does some humor comics, uh, which are released as Tales to Thrizzle. <laughs> uh, and uh, also the Snake and Bacon comics, which are things that I had read in my off-disgust when I days when I would get comics from the library to kill time while I was a projectionist. Hmm. Uh, and they're pretty, they're pretty good. There's an adult, hu adult uh, swim sensibility to the humor in them. So you could really see why he would be working on them. They're sort of like snake and bacon are the ones that I remember the most, which is a, a recurring sketch that he would do wherein it's uh, two stars of a movie in which movie premises are happening around them, but they are just an actual snake and a piece of bacon. <laughs> they're, they're not talking or anything or sentient. They're just a snake and a piece of bacon standing there while action movie stuff is happening, or like a a uh, or it's like a detective movie, and there's this girl throwing herself at at bacon, and it's just <laughs> a piece of bacon. Uh, if I recall, it's been a while since I've read them. I very much enjoyed those, and I recognized the art style a bit from that. That very very sort of sketchy style. Mm. It's very pen and ink, like it, it's very flat colors, very simple lines, but uh, for, for something like autobiography books, especially, I feel like something like that uh, lends itself better to the subject matter, especially if it's something that's a little bit more on the serious side. That's kind of how that uh, Mueller Report Illustrated book looks also. There's something throwbacky in his human figures that reminds me mostly of this modern world, but simplified. Mm. Like to me, they look like they could be '50s clip art people. Just it's like flipping through it. It's like a heavy lines. Yeah, it's like one step less comical than like Archie Comics style. Mm. I uh, I don't I don't particularly the art didn't stand out to me so much in the in the All the Answers book. It did stand out for me in the other book though. So yeah. Yeah, there's some distinct stylization stuff there, too. Yeah. I don't think Cooperman's style is, like, super amazing. It's just interesting. I don't think it's bad. I think it suits his subject. 
Well, it's also worth noting that for, oh, yeah. for this book, he is writing it and illustrating it as well. And the other book is a, yeah. is a team of two people. So, and it's a story about his life. It's a very, these are both autobiographical, I guess should be a thing to establish. Uh, and this book is about uh, how he is the son of Joel Kupperman, uh, who was, when he was a child, uh, a member of that, that show we were talking about, Quiz Kids, which was an early quiz slash game show, initially on the radio and eventually on television. Um, and was something of a sensation at a certain point in his life. Uh, but is not a... Per- and the impression that I get is that he isn't a particularly happy adult. Mm-hmm. Like that seems to be what, what Kupperman is trying to portray it as, or at least that he, he feels, it seems to feel like he can't access his father's emotional life. Yeah. Like he's disconnected from it. And very, that's very sort of the project of the book is trying to connect through learning about his father's past and through talking to his father to, to find that connection. Yeah, the, the father has dementia. I believe, and I, I am not yeah. sure if he is still alive or not, but that is like the, um, that was the starting motivation for Michael Kupperman was to talk to his father while he was still lucid enough to try to get as much information about that as possible. Oh, gosh. Looked up uh, Joel Kupperman real fast here. He died like a little less than a, or a little more than a month ago. Wow. That's fresh. And I know by the end of the book, he's still alive because they, he mentions that. But he's, by that point, gone enough into his dementia that... Because the, 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 yeah. the inciting incident of the book is that the son has to sort through his crap because he's, you know, he's too far gone and now has to sort of sell the house or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I assume he's moving into assisted living. Yeah. Which is, anyone, if anyone's ever had a relative that's had dementia or Alzheimer's or something, it's fucking sucks. Yeah, it's it's really hard. Uh, so, so yeah, this is about this project of him trying to find out about his father uh, through his past. He tells this fairly interesting story. Oh, that's sad. I should stop reading this. <laughs> don't, don't. COVID, COVID-19 got him. I mean, I, I guess that might well have been the case. Yeah. Sorry, go on. I didn't mean to... It's okay. Uh, he's... His father's story is kind of interesting because it's this intensely... Like we keep seeing quotes from other media referencing Joel Kupperman, the, the, the quiz kid, and we start to see the impact that... And this isn't like an amusing little, like my, my dad was on a game show once story. Like he was a celebrity. Like he, he, as a child was important to the world and reached an age in which that vanished and then lived the entire rest of his life. And there is a generation that none of us belong to that would know his name by assumption that like if you would talk to your grandparents, there's a good chance if you said Joel Kupperman, they'd be like, oh, the quiz kid. Mm-hmm. And have an opinion. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm always fascinated with stories like that about things that are 
that have had their day that were very important and largely memorable within that day and are now gone. Like Saved by the Bell for some example. Part of why I'm interested in that is that it's a show that I don't think has maybe if they get the revival to go, then it'll it'll get back into the cultural conversation. But for a long time it was a thing that only a, a very small window of people knew anything about. And that would probably, if not for a revival, pass from this earth once those people are gone. Uh, so that, that, in that sense, is a kind of story that I find very interesting. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I. Uh, sorry, do you want to go? No, I was saying go ahead, Cody. I mean, it's, stuff like this is is very interesting to me because I feel like I kind of I ride that line a little bit where I'm clearly never going to be good enough to be featured on a quiz show or something like that. But I, um, it's I don't have super solid just immediate resuscitation memory the way that a lot of schooling and stuff like that is handled. But things like trivia tidbits have always stuck with me or just a fascination with subjects outside of what you would put into the typical categorization. So that includes pop culture and things like that. And when I was on history bowl, it was the same kind of thing. Like if, if something was just trying to ask for the date for an event or it would give a date and then like you have to figure out what the event is, uh, I wouldn't be able to do those type of questions. But if you're asking about like, famous celebrities or you know who's saying happy birthday to jfk and you know weird stuff like that those are the things that would always stick in my brain so i actually had a t-shirt that just said pop culture reference that the history bowl team gave to me but uh like that for all my answers especially it's so interesting because the there's a page it's actually where aura has his bookmark um for some of the other stuff he says, uh, or maybe it's not here, maybe it's later, but they're, uh, they're talking about his, his distance. He's like, why, uh, you know, do you think is it was? Is, is this where, like, he's like, I've been really smart with math and I'm really yeah. good with facts or whatever, but then he's like, I'm kind of a stupid person? Yeah, he's like, he, at first he said, uh, he, he's talking about taking the Stanford Binet test and being like 219 which is insane, <laughs> like yeah. uh, borderlining on being like a Marvel villain <laughs> levels of genius. Yeah. Uh, but like his spatial reasoning was really, really bad. And it, it, that was interesting too, because I feel like the culture that we're in now, it does a lot better job of identifying those sort of things and giving the correct education and schooling catered to your learning types. Like we have a much better idea that not every person learns the same way and some people are going to be a lot more you know text or visual based or uh doing it themselves type of thing but there's still not really like a um like a guide as far as like relating to your children <laughs> like especially if you're already in this like interesting uh predicament of being this level of famous and then that famous just goes away almost overnight it's it, he was in a movie with uh with like barney fife when he was a child as well like all these other crazy things i want to watch yeah. that movie well there's <laughs> i do <laughs> uh, well there's this that interesting thing in the all the answers too about the relationship between him and his like stage mom mother you know mm, like yeah. 
the the I mean I feel like it's a it's a theme that like sort of is held on to for a minute and then let go of over, as the book kind of goes. But uh, sort of the book's but, format, I think, is that it. Yeah. Each, each it's divided into chapters, and it will grab onto it. Like for instance, there's a bit where they talk very heavily about uh, the anti-Semitism of mm. America. Yeah. And uh, the producer who was a who was a, a Jewish gentleman who changed his name at Coney Island. Uh, the Cowan instead of Cohen, uh, and how he kind of wanted to produce positive Jewish role models in the in the Nazi era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing that stuck with me was the the when uh, when he when he uh, when Kupperman specifically didn't go meet Henry Ford because of yeah. the anti-Semitism stuff, which, and then which Ford, is fucking courageous. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, I assume it was at least part because of his stage mom or somebody, but you know. Yeah. Kudos for having those balls. Yeah. <laughs> but Fuck then Ford guy. shows up at his doorstep and like, you know, uh, uh, the author recounts that like, well, there's no, there's no, um, there's nothing that the, 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 there's no record of their conversation, but yeah. he's like, you can imagine what they said to each other. And I was sure. just like, Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a heavy thing for one of these autobiographical comics. Like when he asks his dad and his dad doesn't really remember, which is, yeah. Seems so weird. (laughs) You know what I mean? He Uh, talks to one of the most important industrialists of all time. (laughs) And it's like, well, and that, that might inform you to the level of this guy's celebrity too. Right. Is that like, you know, he mm. met another famous celebrity and was just like, I remember meeting him, but I don't remember anything we did. You know, here's, <laughs> here's the quotes when he asked his father what what, yeah. what what the meeting with Henry Ford was like. His father says, I'm quite sure he wasn't hostile, dot, dot, dot. He probably just wanted to see for himself, you know, this Jewish kid, dot, dot, dot. But, but the anti-Semitism that really, like, is under the surface in that particular panel, too. Like, yeah you know, and how that shines through in this, in this book is, 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 you know. And, and how the combination of age and people's desire to not remember super unpleasant things Mm. and his father, who's presented as very passive. Yeah. There's a bit towards the end where he talks about his father, how he didn't do things because his father didn't have a good relationship with him because nobody had told him to. Hmm. Yeah, that's and how scene. he spent his whole life, which makes sense in the context of the portrait of the, that that Michael Kupperman is painting of his father as this person who was managed in his early life and had this huge fame, but didn't necessarily like that fame because a thing that they mention is kids are very poorly suited for fame most mm. of the time which is part of why child stars often end up doing unfortunate things because yeah. anyone who's been around kids knows that making them the center of attention and making people's livelihoods depend on them is kind of the worst thing you could do. <laughs> the kids are not built for that. There is a, it's a terrible um, idea for like a, a perfect modern example. There is a movie uh, called honey boy. That is like a, um, uh, Amazon Prime, one of the those type of movies, um, or like Amazon by, by Mr. the Beef. 
Yeah, exactly. It's uh, oh, Shia, yeah, LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf is in it as like a uh, a father of a famous like child actor, basically. And it's co-written or co-directed by Shia LaBeouf. And a large was, part of it is yeah. based on his experience, like being on Even Steven and then like going straight from that to kind of like the uh, Transformers movies and just like this constant celebrity status and what that can like do to you as a person. It's, the trailer for it looked really good. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't had a chance to either. I really want to, though. Starring actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. It's him, and then it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's the guy who was in um, mid-'90s and uh, Manchester by the Sea, uh, Lucas something. I forget that guy's name. But the, uh, the kid who plays the older version of the famous child star, like kind of doing the same thing, recalling all the stuff that had happened. Uh, he is also like a fantastic actor in like a bunch of things. So between him and Shia LaBeouf being like this very, very intense performance of like an overbearing stage father is kind of like an intense experience to just think about. I tend to feel bad for Shia LaBeouf because honestly, he only really got weird after people started shitting on him. Mm-hmm. If I might recall. So I feel like that guy did not was not really given a fair shake. It's not his fault Christmas school sucked. It's kind of interesting, like, the when we're talking about, like, child celebrities who have stabilized now and who have kind of, like, re-entered the public eye as more positive figures are people who have been, like, crazily through the ringer. You know, a, a big example is Britney Spears. Like, uh, people now know Britney Spears as this, like, amazing bomb figure who who loves her kids so much. But, like, when those kids were first born and even before that and like after that there was all sorts of child endangerment worries and things like that the uh the jonas brothers are all along the same thing i remember when i was in college doing uh research assistance for the communications department part of my job was just finding interesting articles that might have content that you could use in either debates or for speeches and one of them was an interview this was before like the cake by the ocean and the new Joe Jonas, like DNC, or, I mean, they even have a new album now. That's just Jonas brothers again, but it was an interview with one of them just talking about how things were in that early two thousands era of Disney. And he talked about how he was at the, um, the Disney studio the day that Vanessa Hudgens, who was one of the stars of high school musical had uh, nude photographs leaked online. And they talked about how they were friends with her. And so from her side of things, like they basically locked her in a room with guards at at like this under 18 year old person. And it was kind of like this or under 21, excuse me. I think she was over 18 by that point, but still like it was representing the Disney brand in a greater sense. And it was kind of like a, it's crazy. Like other people and an, and the entire industry are kind of like deciding every moment for you. And when, things like that get out of their control it's it's insane to see how much of a grasp they can have on you like fully as a person yeah let alone how that could impact you to then the way that you treat other people like the example of michael kupperman yeah there's a south park episode sort of about the cyclical nature of fame and what people do in reaction to it the britney spears one Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I think is pretty pretty smart about it. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, it's pretty clear in here that Joel Kupperman's life was deeply affected in a in a way that made him very unhappy by the uh, by his fame. I will say one thing that I was expecting going into it because I didn't all I knew was that it was about a kid who was like a, involved with quiz show stuff. I thought there would be more about the payola scandals and stuff. Sure, that's what I was expecting too. Yeah. Um, Like apparently uh, Joel was briefly on a show in which he was given answers. And I mean, there is that like half chapter about it where he, you know, like that's what disillusions him to the whole quiz show thing and why he, you know, ends up like choosing other avenues of life is because of, you know, because of that. But there's there's that four panel bit or like maybe it's a page where you know he asks him you know his son asks him about that and you know he sort of stares off into the distance and is like look i never cheated or whatever mm-hmm. like um and, and you know that it comes it, at it from it comes at it from oh. several angles too which i think are useful like they talk about like on, on quiz kids they didn't cheat but they knew what his interests and capabilities were and they tailored questions to mm. make him look good. So that's the, the interesting thing in that chapter, to me at least, is the way that it it points to the the artifice of reality television. Exactly. You yeah, know, exactly. Production processes impact, even when they're not cheating. Like he's only involved in cheating one time and it's inadvertently, which is on the $64,000 question, which was one of the big shows to come down in the quiz show scandal, I believe. Um, in which he's fed answers indirectly through another contestant who like when they're having lunch talks about a book and, and mentions bits in it that are these uh, things that will later come up as questions without saying these are going to be the, the questions. It's, it's very interesting and and, as a result of it. According telling, to narrative. Sorry. Uh, it, yeah. It's just very telling to the whole industry of television too. Like, the whole idea of a quiz show as Aura was talking about earlier is to present this kind of idealized version of America where, Oh, anybody can become anything, any, you know, you can win the shopper's spree and, you know, run around the store and get all the stuff and you know, feed your family just off oh. of like some trivia knowledge or something like that. But then the reality is if it's a reoccurring television show like that, there's so many variables that gets hard to control. So I imagine there was a certain degree of, trial and error behind the scenes that leads up to a well what about the idea of a reigning champion it's kind of like wwe you just pick your your person there's still a uh, tournament there's still a match but the the outcome is decided in this sense whether they know it or not but it's because oh if we've already worked with this kid for so long it would be easier to have this person who has already been trained in how to act on camera and how to present himself than getting a new kid every single week you pick your David Arquettes of the world, right? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, exactly. I I think Josh would be proud that I remembered that. I am. I am. I'm very, very glad. Um, this book also had an interesting way of touching on gender. Did you? Uh, when uh, he, I guess he yeah. said that his aunt or something was also like crazy good with facts and sort of yeah. the same. And the producers just like, couldn't, couldn't gain gra- like ground with her, even though she was like the cousin or aunt or whatever. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Michael's aunt, Joel's sister. Who, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. They also put on the show. Um, 
name starts with an M or something? Yeah. And they he's looking through these scrapbooks, Michael is, that his father kept. Uh, and he, he finds out that, or maybe it was Harriet. I feel like it was Harriet. Not an M name. Um, and his, uh, his father's sister gave her scrapbook over to him. They were all kept by the by the grandmother, stage mother character. Um, and looking through it, Michael finds the the letter that the producer sent, which is the most patronizing bullshit in the world. That's all like we recognize that you're sacrificing by staying home so that your mother can, can go out and and help your your brother because it's important that a home be kept up. And it's just like what even the shit was in America where this was okay to say to a kid. Mm. Yeah. Like fuck whoever wrote that. I don't care about you know, you you'll hear people sometimes they talk about well it was a different time. I don't fucking care you saying that shit to a kid. Telling them, oh it's good, you need to sacrifice yourself so that the, the better people can fucking fuck you. Fuck you hard with a fucking spike. Wow. It's shitty. Don't tell kids that shit. No, absolutely. I don't, been, I don't like people being shitty to kids. Well, this book must have been rough for you then. Yeah. <laughs> um, In a lot of ways. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, the thing that I really liked about all the answers was that, you know, it really showed the complication of a person in kind of the simple way. You know, hmm. like, like, I feel like every page had some sort of complication explaining his dad's character and you know it, it really translated that over in an effective way and and uh i really appreciated that about this particular book yeah and if we're moving into the review here yeah i, I like this book a lot uh it's kind of a hard read for me sometimes uh having certain issues with my own father which i won't get into Sure. Um, it's a tough book, uh, but it was very good. Well, uh, I don't, I don't know if I told you this. Josh. Good. Uh, usually, I don't read these books before the show. Usually, yeah. I, I suggest them, and I'm, and I hope that they work out, kind of thing. Um, yeah. This, this is the one of the only. Like I had read this one, but I had this read this one fresh about two and a half years ago. Uh, which was fresh out of my own dad passing. Um, yeah. So it it was a hard read then. Hello, Haley. Um, <laughs> yeah, get it. She has <laughs> no idea how, how serious the subject matter was right up until that point. Right. Uh, <laughs> We're talking uh, about dead dads. Good to have comic relief. Emotions are gross. <laughs> oh. <Okay>. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But yeah, no, uh, so so it hit me in a particular way too, Josh, when I first read it, but uh, I've got a little more distance from it now, and I was able to actually sort of make it through the book this time, so. Uh, I, I definitely feel like uh, it's interesting because we've actually, uh, my brother just downloaded the Jeopardy game for the Switch the other day, and we've been talking about some family memories of playing a Jeopardy game on the Wii, but... Uh, like all the answers definitely of the two books will be the one that sticks with me the most just because uh, there's just so many things to attach to and relate to as well. Like 
I, I can't relate to having a, a very stern or distant father, but uh, my dad growing up was a, a pastor, so a very public figure, and to a degree, like, I had a small town notoriety to my name as opposed to myself for a very, very long time of just that idea of being the son of that person type of thing and feeling like sometimes maybe other people know your family more than you will sort of thing. Not that I have exactly that issue, but there's just a lot of interesting things to, to kind of look into. And I think that's one of the things that's so cool about comics just in general, both fiction and nonfiction is such a easy way to immerse yourself in an entirely different world and uh, always gain some like fresh perspective just on an, another person's viewpoints on everything. Yeah. Good book. Uh, be careful reading it. If you like everyone, like every person in the world have that issue. <laughs> 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 you want to move on to the, Form the of next a question. one? Form of a question. I mean, I already said I disliked one of these books, so I guess uh -oh. it's a... <laughs> uh -oh. There were some interesting things in this book. I'm curious to see uh, the opinions of other people, because... There are... Yeah. Well, this, okay. This, well, this, this person this pulls one. a... Sorry, I was just going to... This person pulls a bit of a Scott Pilgrim at one point in the book, where I kind of asked myself aloud, like, is this guy, like juggling two chicks or am i reading the situation wrong am i just reading that in between the lines or well that was one of my major i suppose we should briefly talk about the the format of the story this one's written by a guy who had a lifelong love of jeopardy and uh, went on jeopardy and it's he didn't do it all himself i'm not sure if he did script or if he just provided the story um the art is done by somebody else hmm. um I think starting with, uh, in terms of my problems, but I think starting with his relationship with women is a fucking great place to start. Uh, yeah. A lot of the book is portraying the, the main character as this fairly awkward dude who has trouble understanding uh, how to relate to other people because he's been taught to sort of look inwardly towards his intelligence and to the life of his mind, which I very sympathize with. Like I'm inclined to sympathy to that point of view, being that that's, me <laughs> that was my life i didn't want to go on jeopardy but uh but yeah i was always the weird kid like i was a kid who when i was in grade school brought like doonesbury books to school <laughs> didn't understand why the other kids didn't want to read about the fucking fort david accords um <laughs> it didn't didn't doesn't make you popular <laughs> turns out um, they still don't want to read those either i don't know no. I was uh, in elementary school. I mean, I was definitely already reading the Calvin and Hobbes books, but I was for sure bringing things like Far Side with me too, which was definitely not on the tier of, of things my classmates were reading at the time. My teachers asked my mom to have me stop bringing stuff like that because they thought that it was making me unhappy because my classmates weren't really following it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm dead serious. Yeah, I like, know. Look, I get it, and it's really I, the stuff he's doing is very funny and interesting. The the other kids don't get it, and he, they're making him feel weird. So what I what I was imagining was your mom's response to the, that particular letter. That's why I laughed. <laughs> yeah, you know my mom. I do. <laughs> she didn't stop me from bringing anything. That she did not. 
if that's what you're saying. I, that's why I laughed. I was like, there, there is no way that your mo- your mother responded well no. to that particular notice. I know. I'm sure she threw that shit away. Um. Anyway, uh, so I, I sympathize with with that element of this story, and I, I I think that part is the part about it that I liked the most, like the the first quarter or so, which is about Jeopardy as this kind of escape for him. Yeah, I. Then um, he starts to become an adult, and there the problem starts. <laughs> that is he's exactly, not a good adult. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> okay. where it lost me too. Before we okay, before we go that far though. Like, mm-hmm. he also has this amazing relationship with his grandpa. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, which like, I don't want to let go of because... No, you shouldn't. It's important. Well, I feel the coloring betrays it a little bit. Mm. Uh, yeah. Just to, just to sort of get my beef with this book out of the way, because uh, it's going to be important while we talk about the rest of it. Uh, the form of the book is that it's sort of mostly black and white, but then all of a sudden, like, colors pop on certain people usually uh as you guys said you noted women um i think it's specifically supposed to be the most important people although he doesn't do it for his best friends which is curious he he also doesn't like his grandpa is also in black and white yes i thought he was kind of a brownish was he not nope well he's 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 shaded in a way that other characters are i suppose but But yeah, yeah you're right he isn't colored he is just shaded yeah and it's um, it's worth noting. I mean, it is it is a very it is the style of the whole book. It really is almost all black and white. The main character is blue. So for about the first third of the book, that is about it. It presents a very kind of bleak atmosphere. Yeah, and the fact that he makes himself the like important character of the narrative too that gets color is kind of a ooh. I think getting into the things that I have issue with. I'll, I'll say very directly, I feel like he's kind of self-centered. Like the, the, the guy that's right, that's uh, the main character of this, he doesn't seem like somebody that I would really like to know. He, he seems like he views other people in a very utilitarian way. Uh, he's very reductionistic about the women in his life. Uh, and it's, he's, at one point they say that these characters are I was just going to say Deposits of different people yeah. from different parts of his life. So I'm assuming that because the, there are two main women, there's also a third one who he briefly encounters in high school um, that represent very broad stereotypes of broads. <laughs> uh, there's the sort of flighty, arty, crazy chick. And there's the uh, down home mothery chick. And he's sort of torn between them. And I'm like, these women don't exist to be fucking archetypes for you. So, like, these are, I get that they're combinations of ideas that he's had and things that he's had towards other women in his life, probably, but they, ha- they don't have any inner life. They, they exist in there to serve as archetypes for him to wonder as to what he wants out of relationships well, with. Well, so he has this childhood dream. Of, yeah, he has this childhood dream of going on Jeopardy. And that's going, you know, you think that that's going to be the thrust of this book is like his time on Jeopardy. Um, what ends up happening over the course of it is that it's really just a telling of his relationships with other yeah. people underpinned by the fact that he once went on Jeopardy and lost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and he makes a big deal about it on one page where he says, I went on Jeopardy, but this is a story about how I lost. 
And yeah, he won a few times and then he lost as a recurring. I don't think he won at all. No, he won some of the previous days. Is that how that... He talks about how they record multiple episodes on a day. And he wins oh. a few of them. And then he loses to the one woman that he was talking to backstage. Okay, because I That's why he says, I'm not talking about the times I won at Jeopardy. I'm talking about the time that I lost. Oh, okay. Okay. It's in the beginning. Like, that's how he, he starts the narrative, I believe. Okay. What I thought that was, was I thought that was him imagining winning several times. I think but then the not... time he actually... No, I get it, Josh. I, I understand I where you're up. coming from. No, I know. But... I'm, not, I'm just saying I'm not sure. Oh, okay. That's what I got from Cause, it. Okay. Because what it looked like to me was that those were t- different times he imagined winning. And then, and, then, uh, and then when he eventually goes on, he loses. But... But you could be right too, because he does talk about multiple days being recorded at once. It, it definitely the line is blurred. That's the other thing that you know attributes to part of the reason why this is not going to stick as well as the other one. Because right here, I have a page that is one of both of those things. So he's like he is on Jeopardy, and then he's obviously not on Jeopardy for the entirety of his life. So it continues on. And that's more where it starts building his like background about like the relationship and seeing people in a different way. But he has these flashbacks, whereas we've stated most of the, like all the other characters in the backgrounds are black and white and or on a grayscale. but he'll have these half dream, half flashback pages that are all blue to indicate that that's all like his own internal stuff but it is really, really unclear which times are memories and which times are uh, things that he's just thinking about. And I think that kind of attributes to this sort of self-importance thing too. Of They're, they're supposed to parallel with the things that are happening on like the following pages, like, oh, because almost in a kind of slumdog millionaire way for like lack of a better example, just like, oh, I knew this thing or this thing happened and then it was applicable to a real life scenario. But like the end of the book is this idea that then you see people for like all of the interests that every single person has and everything that they have to offer. But it does get that like, I'm trying to find the page here. It, uh, this is the one. This, uh, this exactly reminds me of all of those uh, goofy comics that, uh, right-wing people do online that's like this is the future that liberals want and it's like a college university of like white no whites <laughs> only like that type of thing that's what this feels like like I could see somebody reading this and then getting to the end and getting mad about it because there's this weird like ambiguity but it doesn't feel like you learn something I, mean, I think part of that too is this one is I think I would be more interested in this guy's story if it was more like the other one. It was the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And he was looking back with the benefit of having lived and like talking to those who are following him, his descendants or his nieces or whatever, about like what his life was like. Because it just well, doesn't feel... Go ahead, I'm sorry. In, in how the characterization works, it doesn't feel to me like he has enough self-reflection yet to really deal with who these people are like he it comes out a lot in his relationship with his with the women but it also comes out in the relationship with his best friends who are like these two guys that he meets at whatever i think it's columbia whatever fancy ass rich asshole school he's at um <laughs> i can say that they went to a fancy ass rich asshole school no i know that's uh, your word that's not our word <laughs> my word it's not yours peons um <laughs> one of them one of them is this he's they're both smart but one of them is this just like flighty 
flirty dude who's always jetting off and the other one is the sort of solid comedy probably played by seth rogan dude <laughs> he would be <laughs> no you're, you're shit. that's that's absolutely perfect like if i'd gone on deck he's the kind of piece pe- person that i would have been playing well it's you, uh, funny because with regards to women they both give him the same advice that he then chooses not to follow <laughs> not, <laughs> like, I mean, so Josh said very straightforward advice, which is put me in a fucking pussy. <laughs> just, yeah. just be like, hey, do you want to go out sometime? Yeah. To make a fucking production. Josh yeah. mentioned something that is definitely, I feel like now that I think about it, that the thing that really, it, it leaves this weird feeling. It's not like an empty feeling, but it's just kind of this like, huh, feeling at the end of the book. And I think it's, it's like he is, it's not an apology. It's not like he was like me too or something like that. But it totally is the the last half of the book is supposedly him learning these lessons. And so instead of showing that his relationship has changed with these people, instead, the last couple of pages are just sort of this rushed, oh, well, here is the lesson I learned. It, it kind of reminds you when you send a kid to time out and then you ask if they like know what they did wrong. And you're just like, yeah, I'll tell you anything that you want to hear right now, just so I don't have to be in time out anymore. It kind of feels almost like that. Like, this is me rushing through my own personal journey. So now I don't have to be a timeout anymore and people will accept me. It's like, it wants to end with an epiphany, but I don't know what the epiphany is. And I, I certainly don't think that he's well, learned it. But additionally, you, you also kind of take away, he betrays that childhood dream. Like this, yeah. you know, again, this, this is kind of a book about him fulfilling that childhood dream. And one of the things, like, uh, and you guys have, uh, have certainly done this too, but, uh, you know, when you fulfill childhood dreams, <laughs> nice, nice, busy, uh, look, look at that fucking cat behind you. Uh, <laughs> He's just staring uh, at the screen there, isn't he? Yeah, he looks so bad. <laughs> he sees the other cat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but this, uh, but this uh, childhood dream, you know, when you fulfill that thing, there's an emptiness that he really doesn't dwell on. Um, you know, having fulfilled childhood dreams of my own, you know, like there's a mourning period that I wish he had talked about, like where like, oh, I went on Jeopardy and I lost. And now I don't like I'm I'm sort of a ship without a rudder, you know, mm. like um, and it sounds like the rudder he latches onto is these relationships or whatever. But, you know, like you guys have sort of indicated, the, the book doesn't indicate that those are healthy relationships. Those are just sort of surrogates for this, you know, for this dream that he realized and, and it wasn't what he expected or what have you, you know? His relationships are so fucking unhealthy. I'm not clear that he asked either of the women out ever. Yeah. Like it, he's that, maybe, that's the thing when you say, like, he was, it's like Scott Pilgrim and he's maybe dating two people. I don't know <laughs> that he was dating any people. Right. He was I guess. Well, okay. So the, he was never dating anyone at all. Well, the and indication it's, it's I got was that's fair because the indication I got for was the flighty girl was just sort of dragging him along on adventures. Yeah. Uh. So they they may have never officially like defined anything. Yeah. You know, if anything existed on her end, which is also unclear. Um. Yeah. But then, uh, but then the other girl. I feel like there was a bit more definition to it. Maybe they seem like they're moving towards having a relationship, but they never formally do. Yeah. 
I just I I, uh, I just turned to a random page. And it just said it's the the main character saying I just I still don't have any friends there. It's almost all girls. The next page is the first other color introduction, which is a purple woman. Then you go a little bit further, a lot of blue, a lot of blue, which means we're not reflecting on anybody else. And then you get to the red girl, and immediately she's introduced with, like, flashes of color. But, like, very shortly after that, uh, she she takes him to a show, which is not really her strip teasing, but it's some dance recital. And right off the bat, she's the only other character that gets a full color page all to herself. But then less than just a couple of pages after that he does the exact same thing with the yellow girl and it's the yeah. same thing of like i'm learning all these lessons from people but it doesn't feel like that it feels like this madonna pedestal complex that he has see look at that boom yeah women are going to fix my problems type of vibe going on here and i get having that programmed into us Christ knows that's a thing that's programmed into men, but <laughs> it's it's not true. It's yeah. a bad thing. It, it should be illustrated that it's a bad thing. It's worth no. It's worth noting that you know the the movie doesn't have as much time to uh, dwell on this fact, but in the like Scott Pilgrim books, that's like the bigger deal. By the end of it, is not that he ended up with one girl or the other, but at the end of it, he realized like what he was doing and the whole like you can't yeah. treat people that way. You know, this was so great about Scott Pilgrim as a narrative as it emerged over time. It starts as a fairly goofy comic, and by the end, it's sort of about taking responsibility, stopping hiding in fantasy, uh, getting that other people, it's not their job to fix you. Yeah. That, that you need to, that efforts to improve your life need to be made by you, and that they won't always get you what you want, even if you work hard at it. Mm-hmm. And it's and one of my favorite things about Scott Pilgrim is that the second to last book is Scott Pilgrim gets it together. And yeah. He does in the book, he gets it together and he still loses his girlfriend because even getting it together and being an adult person to some extent doesn't fucking make the world perfect for you. Nothing does. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this book has that, like uh, there's no, not that I needed a resolution because all the answers doesn't really feel like it has resolution, but it feels like it has closure. It's somebody who is going through this this, you know, self-made journey to understand a very close figure, which you don't know very well better. And by the end of the book, you as a reader feel like, you know, that not only the, the personality and the famous person better, but you feel like you understand like this relationship or lack of the relationship between the two of them. And this book ends with this same sort of thing of like, I don't know if this is a dream or not. You go from daydreaming about Jeopardy stuff and the whole, oh, this is the lesson that all the people are together. And then the character is walking through a hedge maze and they come across a giant thing that seems to be a Jeopardy board, but it looks like it's, I don't know. I don't even know what the allegory is here. I'm going into the TV. <laughs> the poltergeist it's hard to tell but that's yeah. like the end of this book it ends well, and it's worth also noting that difference too <laughs> sure uh well you just oh we so you, thought but the radio people didn't i just i realized that as soon as i set it down the uh the all the answers book definitely has less text per page but it is definitely almost like twice as big as this uh form of a question book 
your edition of all the answers is so much better than mine, by the way. I was gonna, I think so. Uh, mine is printed on this like tissuey paper that I don't know if you can see it on the, it bleeds. Oh, really? The ink yeah. bleeds through from other pages. It's yeah, infuriating. This is, this is definitely thick paper. This, these are both auras also. Yeah. Actually, the the form of the question is Josh's. You guys, yeah. but uh, <laughs> well, because uh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Well, here's sort of maybe wrap up form of a question with this, unless people have other things they want to talk about. Uh, what does he learn? Like it, it's clearly supposed to end with him having had an epiphany, a life changing epiphany, right? That's well, the, the sort of narrative format. That so the Alex that Trebek says... What's, what's he learned? Yeah, Alex Trebek says you, when he comes up to the Jeopardy board thing at the end of the control of the board, the answer no longer be need be in the form of a question. And then he repeat, he says back, sometimes it will be, sometimes it won't. I won't have it any other way. And then he touches one of the screens and just goes in like goes into the board apparently um which you know i guess i guess you know for him the the takeaway was was like you know we're on a journey or something like you know i mean it could be where (laughs) i thought it was going was that eventually he would learn that the interpersonal relationships in his life are as important if not more so than than his obsession with show and with knowledge. There well, and both of but these, it doesn't really lean into that enough. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, both of these off. books do have that in common, that, like, these people with difficult interpersonal relationships because they were, you know, quiz show junkies, right? Like, yeah. Um, but, but, but again, go ahead. But all the answers, I think there is a conclusion, if we remember that it's written by Michael Kupperman, at, at the very end there, he comes to the conclusion that I think those of us who... Part of why I, I think I, I resonate with the book is that I know more about my dad from things that my mother has said to me about his past than he ever told me because he never really talked to me about much of anything to do with where he came from or why he did any of the things that he's done. Um, at the end of Kupperman's book, he's like, talk to him. I've gotten what answers I can. But at the end of the day, it's constantly hinted throughout that his journey is actually about learning about himself. Because that's what it is. When we want to know about our parents, what we want to know is where we come from. It's like wanting to know about God. It's wanting yeah, to know. Yeah. And he does origin. allude to that a couple of times and, in all the answers where he says, like, like, why didn't my dad ever try to thrust me? Like, why didn't why didn't he try yeah. to make me, you know, a quiz boy or whatever? He's like, I'm good with this stuff. And, and there's a, it has a closure because there's an incredible passage where he talks to his dad about like, why weren't you closer? Why didn't you? And he, his dad is just like, nobody told me to. I didn't, I should have. I feel bad now. God, Vers- and, yeah. Versus form of a question where every oh single God. person is telling this person you need to be closer to the people around you. And at the end, it's like an admission of, you're right. We should be closer to the people around us. Did <laughs> I do that? I don't know. I'm inside the TV now. I haven't done or demonstrated that. That's why I'd be more interested in it as a him telling the story at the end of his life, because whatever he learned from this experience, he hasn't fucking put it into practice in the book that he wrote. Oh man. Like I said, in Kupperman's book ends with him. I think on that shot of the train where he's just like, 
well, at the end, I've learned what I can about my dad, but I can't, what I want to know is about me and I can't learn that anywhere other than myself. Because that's where your inquiry into like, where do I come from? And, you know, what does the world make of me? It always has to end with you realizing that self-knowledge is, is the end, that you have to find the answers within you to understand Man, yourself. Yeah, my, I guess my disappointment. There's none of that in, in, yeah. in, in form of a question. He doesn't seem to get his own, that he's his problem. Well, like I said, my, I mean, I mean, maybe I'm being unfair to form of a question a little bit because the, the book, it is, he's just not delivering me the book I wanted, which was yeah. a, you know, which was a book about like, you know, like I said, realizing a childhood dream and then like having it be disappointing, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, and maybe he wasn't disappointed because I guess he didn't, in, he didn't indicate that he was, you know, he just was <laughs> like, well, yep, I studied for this and I got here and I did it, you know, like, I mean, I mean, even that was kind of mechanical now that I've said that out loud, like the way it's portrayed yeah. is kind of, you know, Go ahead, Josh. It doesn't need to be disappointing, I think, necessarily, at least for me. But it needs to indicate that something has happened. Like, when, when he reaches his goal, like, that's sort of basic narrative. When you reach your goal, something changes. Like, it can no longer be your goal because you've attained it. You have to reorder your life. That's yeah. often what I think is disappointing to, about things to people is, like, when I got, when I got my master's, it was, I wasn't disappointed, per se. But I was rudderless a bit because I'd, I'd been working for this goal for six years and now I'd accomplished this goal. Fuck do I do now? <laughs> I 100% I felt that way after the PhD. I mean, I expressed it to you on more than one occasion. I was like, I have no idea like what to do with myself. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know yeah. how to keep busy if I don't have other people telling me what to keep busy with, you know? Like, yeah. And that's, Whenever there's these big changes, there has to be that moment. And there's not a sense. He stops the story before he gives us the conclusion about that. Because we see him being on there and we see that the problems that he's had prior to being on Jeopardy, but we don't see anything of what the experience has changed in him other than some weird bullshitty unicorn dream, which I guess proves that he's a replicant, but doesn't, uh, but doesn't do much. There's a Blade Runner reference for you kids. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't I, do much to, to finish off a story. Yeah. Uh, like it, the other book does such a perfect narrative of seamlessly like applying past history to current, you know, perception of things, you know, the relationships, all of that stuff is, is perfectly balanced. And then this book feels like it's, it's a shorter book, but it's two different books at the same time. Like it's clear that it's supposed to be the, parallel of jeopardy stuff or jeopardy dreams to the reality but when you're reading it the, the tie doesn't exist even though it seems to be formatted that way like there's it, it's just weird like every now and then it's like a book about jeopardy stuff even though that's clearly like the title and should be the focus but it very definitely shifts away from that focus in the last half but then doesn't do anything new with the new stuff that's presented. And you're, you're talking about, you know, the goal there. I don't feel like there, even though he gets on jeopardy and realizes that dream, like what Aura said, it would have been more interesting to talk about the, the hollow feeling after that dream is accomplished. But that is another thing that is not <laughs> discussed. 
but feeling weird around girls is. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I sympathize. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I, I would say is definitely not my personal opinion, but I could definitely see somebody else saying it is uh, clearly all of the answers has this illustrative quality that is similar to political cartoons and is based in media. And this person is a very established artist that has won the Eisner award and a form of a question uh, definitely feels like, like the, like internet art for lack of a better word. It, it feels kind of tumblery and especially using like a color gimmick of the characters that are color are important. Like some books do that to a degree, but this could have been just flat black and white, or it should have just been full color. But this like in between for the sake of an extra gimmick, I don't know, I think almost hurts it even more. The gimmick works in some things like Frank Miller's Sin City, the color splashes. Second podcast in a row, we're talking about fucking Frank Miller. But it works pretty well in there. Like, yeah, it's a perfect example. Like the dame in red is wearing red, but it like it's it said it makes a particular element shocking and interesting. And here it's just like here's the girls I want to fight. And it's also that's another thing we're saying like even in Sin City when those characters are highlighted in color, it's not like that's pervasive, but they use blue or the red like she's not just herself red in this one. It's just like other things around it too they they dip into yeah. the gimmick too much for it to be just a gimmick then it just seems like a like a half-assed color palette to a degree like this part this one has got like lots of blue candles just because they happen to be around characters that are important but then you know it's just the yellow it's it's hard to describe because it's not i don't know if it's aimless it's not, it doesn't ever set, oh, I know exactly what it is. It doesn't ever set a specific line. Sometimes it chooses to be people and other times it's people and objects. And th that is also never nailed down. The dream sequence also, that stuff should be completely different colored. And that would be something that fleshes it out more. But as you read it, the book is mostly gray and blue. The gimmick for gimmick's sake, it just feels pretty but what else what's it hollow bring? yeah we want to finish up our discussion or did anybody have any other points i think yeah i think we wrapped that pretty good that's our you know definitely would oh okay. is, this, is this the uh what is this the, the buy recommend yeah yeah so um my copy of all the answers is 25 bucks i think i got it for somewhat cheaper online uh, I don't know if your edition of all the answers is any different. Yeah, same same thing. Twenty five dollars. Well, I got a much worse version for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little over two hundred pages, but you know, it's you know, most of the time it it'll be that plus like five dollars. I feel like is kind of the upcharge for a hardcover. This feels like yeah. a, a perfect price for this book. This is a, something that I would be happy to pass on to a friend for them to try. It's, it's a little it's, pricey, but if you can find an edition with good paper, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's well, worth it enough. 
Well, that is, both of these books are books that are not necessarily comic store books. These are, yeah. these are, uh, these are bookstore comic books. Um, yeah. So um, they, that does sometimes come with a little bit of a price premium because of, because of Amazon necessarily, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. another tale for another time. Yeah, I remember when Amazon was an online bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got both of these off Amazon. No, I know. I got, I got my copy delivered a lot quicker than Aura's because they like me more. Yeah, you <laughs> bastard. Um, right. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to do the price for the next one. Do you have something else you want to say? Nope. Yeah, seventeen ninety nine for form of a question. It's short and not that great. It's you know I was thinking about it earlier what I would think what I would say in terms of price point. And I'm going to say something that I don't usually say. It's a perfect library book. If, mm. if you're somebody who likes going to the comic, or to the library to get cheap comic, save, save money and get entertainment, go to the library and get this one. And you, I don't know, it's, it's vaguely worth a read. It's not necessarily great uh, if you're interested in the subject matter. Uh, yeah. And that way you want to spend a fucking dime on it. So Actually, I do want to clarify I feel like we beat up form of a question and accoladed uh, all the answers. Um, but form of the question was not a bad book. It just, yeah, yeah, it wasn't terrible. I I just really didn't like the guy and I would overall, I would say it's a light, not recommend for me. Yeah. Like if you're interested in the subject matter, it might be worth checking out, but like the other thing too is just as an art comic, not, not great. In this day and age, it's like, do you really care about another person's just like, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like this person ever faces any real challenges other than like they have a hard time connecting with people. But then that, that answer to that problem is presented and then not really addressed. It, it, it feels like exactly that versus the other thing is still technically a white man's story, but there's a lot more information there. And you know, the, the stuff about uh, being a Jewish individual. Context. Yeah. But the cultural context. Absolutely. Like, because that that is a lot absent from, you know, because, I mean, this form of a question could have been fleshed out a little bit by being like, look, I was a nerd in high school. Here's what it's like to be a nerd in high school in the 90s or whatever, because I assume yeah. he's he's around our age. But or maybe even of, like, uh, all the answers, I didn't really know anything about Quiz Kids before, and, and having read it, I now think I have a good understanding of what Quiz Kids was. If I didn't know what Jeopardy was before I read all the questions, I wouldn't <laughs> fucking know. Yeah, you'd be more confused now. I'd be like, why that's, is it all about questions? <laughs> that's a that's actually a good point because he he doesn't ever address the like, what is Jeopardy? Because like you know, ten years from now, Jeopardy could be gone from the earth, you know, and yeah. and you know those of because like there are certain you know you mentioned specifically Quiz Kids. Quiz Kids was around for like forty years, but yeah. like. We didn't know what Quiz Kids was. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, and it was culturally impactful. Like all of the quotes on the chapters are like from Eli Roth comparing somebody to jo- to Joel Copperman. There's a poem in the back that's about Joel Copperman by uh, uh, what's his name, somewhat well-known poet guy. I I will say that particular bit. I William Friedman like, felt like a felt like a thing he wanted to tack into the book, but didn't have a context for. <laughs> like, mm. So he was just like, fuck it, I'll end on this yeah. poem. You know? I mean, 
I do kind of like it just because it gives the context of like, no, this isn't just a family story. <laughs> My dad was actually a kind of an important world figure, quote unquote, at a certain point in his life. Yeah. It it reminds me too of like the the other simple thing too is if we're gonna recommend a book based on the premise of you know this episode, which is specifically you know people and quiz shows, uh, form of a question kind of barely dances around it being that like you could definitely argue yeah. more so for uh, all the answers just just in that sense. And the other thing too is it's not like there is a lot of autobiographical quiz comics. Okay, so, so this is what I was gonna <laughs> mention real fast was. Me and Cody, because I, I knew that I wanted to read all of the answers again for the show. Like, I, I've been, like, that book has circled the drain for me several times, and I was just like, you know what? Uh, we're going to do this. <laughs> like, I want to do this. But I'm like, what are we going to compare it to? And me and Cody Google searched for, like, a half an hour. We walked the shelves of the store to, like, see if there was anything <laughs> that jumped out as being like not even quiz show necessarily related, but we were like, yeah, we were looking at production related. <laughs> like I'm going to walk away for a second. Sorry. Oh, whatever. Hater aid. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, you know, we sat here and we really tried hard to find something to compare this to. And then like, I don't know, I Google food, like the exact right thing. And finally form of a question came up as a possibility. And I was like, that sounds like it would be a good comparison. Uh, but, you know, ultimately. I mean, you know. ultimately it was a good comparison. It was the exact, like, what went right, what went wrong. Like, both sure. both those things were, were clear and obvious to compare in, in both of these books. Duh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, it, and it was just, a, you know, again, uh, you know, I, as I, as I, you know, as I sort of opened this thing, like, Form of a Question isn't a bad comic. It just isn't a great one. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it was up against a great one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it, that was its unfortunate happenstance of being about the same theme, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but but yeah, it's... Uh, and again, it, it defied expectations a bit. I, I, think, I think you guys nailed it, and I didn't realize it, but what, when you said, like, it isn't really about what it claims to be about, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's... And that's sort of a problem too. Well, there's nothing wrong with having like a misnomer title if you're going to lead it in. And I don't know, there were, there were a lot of things that could have been done to tell the exact same story in a better way. Yeah. Uh, Or not even in a better way, maybe in a more just interesting or dynamic way. Yeah. Uh, But uh, we're swimming. (laughs) Whatever that means. (laughs) So... (laughs) All right, let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, talk about one thing this week. Yup. Uh, everybody else ready? Or? Uh, I can go. I uh, so I've talked about Bloodborne and FromSoft games like Dark Souls uh, before. Uh, this week at work, or I guess now previous weeks, uh, a copy of Neo came in, which uh, just had a sequel that came out very recently. So the original version is much less cheaper, and it is. Uh, I just started playing it today, but it is kind of interesting how the whole, like, people talk about how Dark Souls is such a thing in video games, and the video game review thing is to compare it to uh, your thing to Dark Souls, but there's definitely more than a few examples where 
it, it is very clear and obvious that that is the derivative. It has a sort of, you catch back your lost things. If you die, uh, enemies respawn at health points. But Neo, while being the same, has already set itself aside very, very, very differently from the Dark Souls games. And I'm enjoying it a ton, actually. It's, uh, it's a cool celebration of the differences and the similarities. I'm very excited to get through this one and see how the, how the sequel goes. Cool. Uh, I will do, I talked previously about uh, Trails of Cold Steel from the, uh, the Legends of Heroes series. Uh, I beat that and I'm on to, to Trails, Trails of Cold Steel 2. Uh, that game ends with, the first game ends with a crazy fucking twist and it starts as the second one full of craziness it's uh it's fucking great so it's a jrpg with some like sort of a light version of persona-esque day slash school management things oh cool but a bit more a bit more linear in those passages and a, a really interestingly detailed combat system so um uh, for me this week, uh, I'm going to kind of talk about one and a half things. Uh, so uh, I'm going to briefly say, so I had gotten into the habit since we went into lockdown on Saturday nights of watching a movie that was a put, that's a put on of, uh, of, of this coffee house in Kansas city. They would, they would play some sort of like old timey flick, mostly, mostly sort of aiming towards noir, noir, but sort of, you know, uh, other stuff kind of related as well. Um, and they didn't do it this week. And like, I was, I felt empty, like <laughs> for like an hour, I was like, I, like I had gotten used to this now, you know, like, like, I guess when you're talking about new normal and routines and things like that, like, like I had sort of sunk into this routine that, that I would then, you know, I would watch this movie and then I would, I would go play the, the games with, uh, with the people on the zoom. And so, like, without this movie, like, uh, I sort of, I, I was literally bumping into walls and things. Like, <laughs> just like, uh, I don't know. Um, so I hope that the, it was just not put on this week because it was, uh, because it was Memorial Day because they didn't have an announcement or anything. I hope they didn't stop it because now I have to sort of find something else to fill that time. But, um, so the thing I am gonna pick this week then uh, is the uh, is. And I think I picked it before, but I'll mention it again. The Jackbox games that Josh uh, has. Um, We specifically (laughs) yesterday had one question I wrote down because I was like, holy crap, like, why didn't me and Josh get this question? It was, uh, and Cody, this one, this one, this one's one you can feel free to answer too. It was, uh, what is a dramatic line that Gilbert Gottfried couldn't, uh, couldn't, uh, uh, couldn't give? Um, a dramatic on, line. You can wait. You can wait. Hang on. Uh, so me and Josh, uh, the the whoever did answer this, uh, mm. their their answers were, uh, you had me inferior. at hello. What's that? Inferior. Yeah, they were definitely were inferior. inferior. Uh, so uh, you had me at hello. Um, right. <laughs> uh, or uh, somebody else had written the Steel Magnolias speech which uh, it has been a number of years since I've seen Steel Magnolias. I'm not sure which speech that was referring to, but uh, I wanted to go ahead and launch that to our crowd because it's sort of related to our Up All Night show. Um, I'll just go ahead and say uh, what a mind 
after seeing, seeing Steel Magnolia's speech as an answer. Well, the ID4 speech, like the Bill Pullman, <laughs> like, like, today will be our Independence Day. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, I guess that's the dude version of the Steel Magnolia speech, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know which one's the Steel Magnolia speech. I, 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 I still don't, don't really know. Yeah, okay. Josh, did you have any thoughts from yesterday too? I mean... I I have the answer that I would have put down on Quiplash. I'm curious as to what companies would say that. Sure. Oh, I've got mine. Uh, my uh, I don't know what the exact like line reading of this uh, quote would be, but uh, for a dramatic line that Gilbert Godfrey shouldn't deliver, it would be, uh, "All right, Sophie, you have a choice." <laughs> I uh, I actually <laughs> thought of a better one right after uh, right after Josh said he had his, so I'm hoping I'm not stealing his. Uh, but the Ben Affleck monologue from Chasing Amy, <laughs> like that minute and a half, <laughs> like a good one. Yeah. Uh, and mine would be, uh, I'm sorry, my tweet offended you. Oh, <laughs> but Godfrey would never say that. Oh, that would have been topical. Never. A, a perfect uh, line reading for Gilbert Gottfried, though, would be, "No, you blew it up. Damn you! Damn you all to hell." <laughs> Damn you, really good. Damn you, dirty apes. <laughs> uh, no, that is, this is fun. Maybe we'll do this for the show. When, uh, <laughs> Next time we have guests, lines we, that would have been better oh, delivered I'm by Gilbert. I'm not going to spoil that yet. Hang on, I'll wait till we get to the cash before I spoil that for Cody. I'm, um, I mean, if we ever get to a point where we have some good-sized audience, we could maybe try and do a Twitch stream of Jackbox. People do those things. Oh, that'd sure. be awesome. So, all right. Well, uh, this has been a presentation of That Podcast Productions. You can find all of our blogs and assorted nonsense at uh, thatpodcastproductions.fireside.fm. If Facebook's your thing, you can search us on uh, That Podcast uh, Stays Up All Night Slumber Party. Ooh la la. Um, that's <laughs> updated apparently intermittently now. Wink. Um, <laughs> Trying to get me to update it, huh? Uh, well, a little. I was, I was. Well, I'll, I'll explain. You after. know my price. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Put them so on the glass. There's an Instagram and a Twitter which are are not updated ever because because uh, me and Cody suck the worst. Um, uh, you can email us uh, at that if you have viewer mail. I think we actually have. Is that viewer mail from this week, Cody, or do you want to save that one for next week? Oh no, no, no! I can totally, I'll totally share that now. I actually did. Yeah, I got, uh, I got listener, listener mail through Facebook from somebody. Real quick, a buddy who was actually one of the RAs my freshman year of college said, "Been listening to your podcast, bro. Keep it up." There we go. Thank you, Nick. Didn't say whether it was good or not. That's true. Keep, Funny. Keep, keep it up. It makes uh, it really impresses all the women when I'm like, I knew this guy. Look how much better I am than him. <laughs> I was uh, more of a man. Well, uh, me and Josh don't have the good sense to know when to quit anyway, because we've been at. Is this our fourth year doing this, Josh? Oh fucking no! Have I ever done anything but this? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll keep up the good work, or we'll keep up the work anyway. The we'll keep up the contractually obligated to meet pre-order demands work um <laughs> uh so uh yes if you want to be on our viewer mail segment you can viewer mail us at 
that.podcast.productions at uh, gmail.com or, uh, or, or what more likely happens, send one of us a message on the old face at the face box. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, you can subscribe uh, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. iTunes, Google, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. You can check out the RSS feed directly at the website. Oh my gosh. Uh, if they went to our website, they might see our logo. Where's that from, Cody? Uh, logo is done by Abby. You can find her and contact her for more amazing logo and or cartoonial work at Rosari Art on Instagram. That's R-O-Z-A-R-I-A-R-T. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably heard our theme song. Our theme song was made by Ted Potter. If you want information about his music stuff, you can contact one of us and we'll get you in touch with him. Josh, what's coming up on the on the shows, man? So next week on that podcast stays up all night. We will be surprisingly reviewing a movie from USA up all night. Uh, that movie will be hard bodies. Hard bodies. Ooh. Which is a real sleazy fucking beach movie. So if you like the episodes where we talk about how things are like sleazy and shitty and sound like we're fucking uh, <laughs> like we're, we're the town that won't let you dance and footloose, then you know, that's going to be a good one for you. Hey, I'll be John Lithgow any day. Fuck yeah, I'd be John Lithgow. <laughs> uh, week after that, we're doing some further ado where we do a movie related to what we just did just now, just minutes ago. Minutes ago. Uh, which will be the Robert Redford, uh, John Tertura joint quiz show, which was a really fucking great movie. Uh, so I guess if you like episodes where we fawn over awesome <laughs> Oscar winning movies then you're weird, and also we're going to be doing that. <laughs> it's healthy for us. Yeah, it really is. Let us uh, have this. <laughs> I While you were talking, Josh, I forgot our sister show, buddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you like girls, and you like comics, and you like an 80s band talk talk girls talk comics girls <laughs> talk comics dot fireside dot fm it's girls and there's comics and it's not related to the band girl talk <laughs> all right well that about does it bored with that ad copy yeah that about <laughs> does it for us man uh yeah. anything else you guys need to add no that's nah. it Play, uh, shoot me don't a message be, if you want to play Bloodborne online. Don't be oh. shitty to women. Great lesson. <laughs> well, <laughs> treat, or, treat women like people. Or don't go on a game show. Like that seems like the the lesson we <laughs> took away from these yeah, two was play, like. I, it's th- funny that, that didn't I end well for dude. either of these guys. What's that? I know one dude who was on a game show. Yeah, uh, he was on Jeopardy. and He was a champion, I think. He went back a few times. Really Are they well an asshole now? Super bright dude. Oh, good. He was, I mean, he was a PhD. Uh, he, was, he was doing his PhD in film. Fucking brilliant dude. Super nice. Well, one of the guys who hosted uh, hosted our local quiz, uh, our local quiz pub quiz before Cody took it over, was uh, was a guy who really wanted to be on Jeopardy, and he was kind of you know he was kind of a uh, an interesting fella in his own <laughs> way. Hmm. Cody, you met him a couple of times. Yeah, I have an idea who we're already talking about. We can talk about this <laughs> off air. That'll be fun. I, I have no idea, so I will <laughs> stick around. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. I think I think those are our goodbyes then. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah.